Hello and welcome to the Seems Legit Podcast, hosted by your favorite craft beer drinking, whiskey sipping, bourbon appreciating, sushi eating, steak craving, speedo wearing, tell it like it is, poker playing guitarist, the dude himself, the dude Sonny D. I want to thank you all so much for tuning into this episode of the Seems Legit Podcast. Also, if you aren't already doing so, please follow me on both Twitter and Instagram at the dude Sonny D. Alright, let's talk some hockey. I got a prediction wrong. I thought uh, Kyle Connor was going to be the first of the remaining RFAs signed, restricted free agents. I was wrong. It was Brock Besser over in Vancouver. He was signed yesterday to a three-year contract with an average annual cap hit of $5.875 million. So it was I mean, that's, I mean, if someone at 22 had offered me that kind of money to play hockey, yes, that's a good fucking deal. Uh, so this is kind of one of those things though. The last year salary of that contract is what determines your qualifying offer for the next contract. And I think that is where, for instance, you're going to see, uh, pardon me, is where you're going to see players kind of get a little sticky when it comes to deciding the terms of their contract is that they want a certain amount in that last year to set them up for the bigger payday next time around. So I get that. Uh, but again, he's making on average just under $5.9 million. Uh, give you a little background on him. Uh, he was the club's third leading scorer for the Vancouver Connects last year with 26 goals and 30 assists in 69 games. He was picked 23rd overall in the 2015 entry draft. He was an all-star game MVP in 2018 and a finalist for the Calder Trophy in the same year, despite a broken back cutting his rookie campaign short. Holy shit, that's a fucking injury to have in your rookie year. Uh, but nonetheless, Brock Bester's the first one to fall. Uh, first piece in that domino effect. I know Philadelphia also signed a restricted free agent yesterday of theirs. I'm drawing a blank on his name. But regardless, they got someone signed as well. So that leaves, as of the time of this recording and publishing, the big-name restricted free agents left are Braden Point, Miko Rantanen, Matthew Kachuk, Kyle Connor, and Patrick Lyon. So five left. The big ones, the regular season begins October 2nd, so keep that in mind. I always talk about that idea of the value of somebody, like the base value of the of that player. So if you consider just the, the, the on-paper attributes, the production, the skill, age, um, position, all of that, there's kind of a base value that a player has or, or categories of players have. Uh, now, all not all players are created the same, but generally speaking, for instance, a young Top-line centerman with scoring ability has a certain value. That base value can either go up or down depending on the team's kind of that secondary either market bonus or downgrade depending. So, for instance, uh, do I think a guy like Artemi Panarin uh, makes $9.5 million in Columbus? No, I think for Columbus to keep him, it might cost more because the opportunity to win is going to be less. Also, the market where you're going to be playing and living. He probably wants to be making $9.5 million living in New York City versus in Columbus, Ohio. No offense to Columbus, Ohio. Just from his perspective, I imagine those are the facts. That happens anywhere, right? For instance, if I was in the NHL, I'd want to probably play in Winnipeg. I grew up in Winnipeg. Home's in Winnipeg. My family's in Winnipeg. So for me, that, it, you know, as a goalie or, you know, if, I, if it was as a forward... 
Um, let's take it as a goalie. I would know what, you know, if I was a starting goalie, what the starting goalie kind of wage is that base level for the rest of the league or across the league. And then kind of my value myself as to what I bring to the table and to which team. And yes, it might cost more for certain teams to sign me than it would for others. Not all deals are created equal. I think that's the big thing is, oh, they offered him the most money, therefore he's going to go there. You see that in sports all the time. You see that in baseball, for instance. Um, what's his name? Bryce Harper would have been one of the big name or uh, uh, unrestricted free agents last season. Uh, I have it. I understood it to be that the Nationals actually offered him more money to stay in Washington, but he had decided he wanted to go to the Phillies. And it was interesting because, I mean, he's arguably one of, if not the best player in baseball, the highest regarded ba player in baseball. He, I, the way his contract works, he's not even the high. It's not the biggest contract, and it's not even the most per year. So it was just interesting, right? That there's that value to the certain team that you might be signing with. It's like I said with William Nylander last year when that saga was going on. William Nylander might be able to get more. I, You know what? In all honesty, I think he won that deal every which way uh, from Sunday. But let's say he would, you know, because I think the Leafs were coming in at five. He wanted seven. They settled at six, nine. But regardless, let's say he wants seven. It's You can have seven million playing elsewhere. Jeff O'Neill said it just the other day on TSN on Overdrive, when he said, you know what, if Mitch Marner wants to play like this, fine, go get $11 million, but go have fun playing, you know, in Columbus, or no, I think he said Carolina, he said Carolina, or any of these other teams, no, you want to play in Toronto, that's the case, so $11 million is more than generous, that's what it is to be a Toronto Maple Leaf at your position with your skill set, what you bring to the table today to be a Toronto Maple Leaf for X amount of years. Again, if someone offers me eight years um, and 11 per, so an eight-year, $88 million deal, it's hard for me to say no. But again, there's so many more factors to it than just, oh, that's a lot of money, I'm going to take it. Um, because I want to be very clear that most of the numbers that these guys are hearing are pretty obscene numbers. Uh, so just keep that in mind as well. Uh, that's why being a player agent must be just such a fucking lucrative job. I mean, it's got to be high stress. High fucking stress. You have to have just the right type of personality and, and the right kind of organization, the right kind of level-headedness, the right kind of stress management, everything to be an elite-level uh, NHL player agent because it's got to drain you. But financially, probably lucrative as fuck. But anyway, looking at the big names left and uh, one of the storylines that came out uh, kind of yesterday, last night, and into today is uh, the Patrick Laine saga. Now, with Brock Besser signing for the five, just the just shy five nine, let's round it up to five nine. Um, it kind of now puts into position where do we think some of these other guys fall in? Do I think Patrick Laine is five nine? I think that's a great offer for Laine. I wouldn't be surprised, and if I were Patrick Laine, considering he's coming off a down year. I don't know that I really hate that Brock Besser deal. I'm kind of looking to replicate it myself, especially if I can get that 7.5 on the back end there. A, Winnipeg isn't that expensive compared to other markets to live. Uh, the, one of the drawbacks, I guess, to Winnipeg is there's a relatively small t city compared to some of the others. So if you get spotted everywhere, everybody knows who you are. Uh, I was at Thermia 
and uh, everybody made a big deal because uh, Patrick Laine was there today. It was actually kind of, and I felt bad for the guy because everybody clearly recognized him, and people were doing that awkward kind of gawking from a distance, and oh, that's Patrick Laine. Oh my God, right? Rather than someone going up and just saying, "Hey, we, you know, hey, you're Patrick Laine. That's awesome. You know, way to play or whatever. You know, so happy the Jets got you." Everybody's like, oh, let's give him his resume, but let's just sit here and look at him and gossip. So it was weird. Uh, but uh, nonetheless, uh, in Winnipeg, that, that's one of the things that maybe some players don't like is that smaller town feel to it. But, however, with that being said, uh, the big thing is, I mean, he is coming off a drastic down year in terms of production. So do you take a bridge deal, especially if you can backload it there? If you can get seven and a half or eight million in salary in that last year, that's now your new qualifying offer. And if Line can put up, you know, three straight 45 goal seasons, you know, he needs to get the minutes to do it, but he needs to put in the work to get there. Yeah. Then all of a sudden, yeah, he is saying, yeah, show me the money now, right? So it's one of those things. I like the bridge deal. I've always been a fan of it. It's a bit of a it's not as high risk, high reward as people think. Because if you're a player and you're coming off a down year or you think, hey, in a few years, yeah, go for it. Get the bridge deal. I, a lot of players have done it. Subban did it, uh, PK, uh, Taves and Kane, and then they got paid on the back end. Uh, the difference is for a lot of these guys is they've had trophies and big-name trophies and individual awards that they're winning before they sign these monstrous deals. Uh, I get with a guy at the elite level like a Mitch Marner, yes, he's going to get taken care of. But where do the rest of these guys fall in? And so what do you think they're going to bring to the table in those next few years in that window? Winnipeg is in a very kind of awkward spot compared to these other teams. Winnipeg, out of all of them, kind of doesn't really know where they sit. I think this is going to be a tougher year for them than it was last year, uh, especially in the sense that this year on paper, they're not as strong as they were last year. They lost Truba. They lost Myers. Uh, they had a bunch of forwards just walk out the door. Uh, Buffalo's not there. You're, two of your young stars aren't there either. You have some guys that maybe you're looking uh, to, you know, move. Um, Perot maybe, Brian Little. I do think there is a, a big trade that could be made there for Brian Little. I think if the Jets are in a cusp, I think he's one of the names that teams are going to look for. Uh, that they can kind of build, uh, you know, into their core. Uh, this, I think last year, the first year I saw Brian Little without an A on his jersey. It might have been the second year. I mean, his he went from being top line center. I mean, now he's, he's down a line. But uh, regardless, when you look at this, that's kind of the situation we're in with Patrick Linus. So I think, honestly, I do see a situation where Line and Connor are going to come in at similar numbers. It's how close the uh, annual value, average annual value of those contracts come in. I do see a situation where you could see a Patrick Line at a 587.5, uh, like you did Brock Besser, and a uh, Kyle Connor coming in at a 6.3, 6.25, 6.35, 6.45, somewhere in that range. I do see some room uh, between them, and I do think. In terms of line and contract, they're going to both want to do that back-ended deal uh, where they're getting paid more in the last year so that that becomes the qualifying hour for the next contract. The Jets, though, have to make that decision. Are they contenders still? Do they still want to make a push? Or was the playoff run of a couple seasons ago a one-and-done? Was that a fluke and an overachievement? And that's what I mean by they're in a little more precarious of a position. 
Calgary on paper is, is, is a stat lineup of young stars that kind of need to take that next step. Now, they did win. They were the top team in the Western Conference. They bowed out early in uh, to Colorado in the first round, which I do want to mention again. I did predict uh, correctly. It was one of the only predictions I got right in the first round. But nonetheless, Calgary kind of knows where they sit and where they want to go as a team. Colorado had a bounce back uh, last season. Uh, they were it was weird. They got off to a tremendous start, fucked around, and then got and then finished strong. Colorado again, I think they're gonna build off of that momentum. You have generational players there in Miko Rantanen, you got Gabriel Lasco, you got a great um cast there in, in Colorado. They did lose Tyson Berry, I believe was the big loss there. You know, Austin went to Toronto. But nonetheless, Colorado kind of knows where they're gonna sit. When you look at point production though, Connor Besser fits, ironically enough, right in the middle of line A and Connor. Connor had 66 points, Besser 56, line A 50. I think the difference, though, is this. Besser's kind of growing still in a stay and at a growing pace. Could he hit 66 points this year? Absolutely. Uh, line A's coming down. Line A could easily be that guy that is averaging 70 to 75 points a game. If he is scoring 30 goals, 35, uh, you know, 40 goals, 45 goals, getting some assists, you know, is he going to get the pre you like, you know, and that's where, does he get that bump because of his past body work? Absolutely. His best years are better than Bester's best years. Therefore, will he get, will his number, even though he, his production was less than Bester, will he still see Bester type numbers? Absolutely. Again, I think Connor this year could put up 80 to 90 points if given the opportunity. He has a fucking full camp and shows up and has a full season. Kyle Connor could easily push, in my opinion, and surprise a lot of people by getting an 80 or 90 point season. Hence why I said Connor, in my opinion, moving forward, is probably the one of the two. I were the Jets, I'd want to keep around. Also, I think he's the one that's going to get the bigger payday. In terms of production now, the big three are, are fairly uh, – there, there's there's a bit of a spread there. So Kachuk uh, was 11 points clear of Connor with 77. Rantanen was 10 points shot, uh, clear of that at 87. And Braden Point had a 92-point season, meaning I think um, – what was it? Uh, Tampa Bay had three or four, and there's my computer making noises, right? Jeez Louise. But anyway, uh, you have a situation there where Tampa Bay had like three or four 90-plus point getters. Do I think Braden Point's probably the one out of all of these that's going to get the most money? Yeah, I think it becomes a situation of Point and Rantanen looking closer to the Marner number. They're going to be upwards of that 8 to 9 AAV. Uh, and I think at 8 to 9, it's kind of interesting. You don't have to backload anything because you don't want to screw yourself in the same sense. So I could see them 8 to 9 and then them kind of being paid evenly throughout the contract. Depends also the length of that contract. Could Chuck? I think Calgary's going to want to keep that core together. I do think players do have to look at kind of the Tom Brady method. Now, Again, NHL of all pro sports, I've said the big ones, do get paid the least in terms of salaries and, you know, other facets of, you know, income flow. Therefore, yeah, it's easy for me to say, oh, yeah, Tom Brady took $17 million this year instead of 24 Yeah, none of these guys are making $17 million. That difference is what they're fighting for. They're fighting for that $7 million, right? So in total salary. But nonetheless, I do see Point and Rantanen those are the two that are going to be um, commanding the most money, I think. 
With that being said, I think Colorado more than Tampa Bay needs to get Rantanen in the lineup. I think out of all of those teams, uh, Tampa Bay is the one that can almost sit back the most because of how deep and talented they are. You could see um, Braden Point being the big holdout there. Calgary again with Kachuk. Yes, I could see them holding out a little bit longer, but I think Rantanen falls into place pretty soon. Uh, Rant, it, it's funny. Do I think the line A deal has an impact on those top three? Absolutely not. If Connor signs before line A, do I think it has an impact on line A? Yes. Rantanen is kind of the one that will set a bar for the most. Because Rantanen will directly impact, if he signs first, both Kachuk and Point. Being that he's in the middle there, production-wise, seeing how important he is to the growth of that young team in Colorado, it's kind of going to set what he is worth in Colorado. And I do see that being kind of that bar that gets set for both Kachuk and Point. I don't know that the Rantanen number has that big an effect on Kyle Connor. Therefore, I, I don't see it having any effect on Patrick Laine. If Brayden Point were signed tomorrow, I think that kind of puts everybody in their in their places. Again, it's tough as an NHL general manager because do you want to be on the, 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 the leading side of that and kind of set the bar? Or do you want to wait and play chicken a little bit and see what other people are doing? Regardless, uh, we're getting closer to the season here. We are just a couple of weeks, a few weeks away here. Actually, what, literally just a couple of weeks away from the start of the NHL season. So I think getting these guys signed is going to be urgent. But again, we'll see. I think Winnipeg, Winnipeg's in the toughest position, in my opinion, uh, because of how pivotal it is to get Connor and Lining in that lineup. Winnipeg's the one that might have to just bite the bullet here and be the first one to set the market uh, prices. The good thing, though, is this. Um, or the interesting thing. Sorry, good thing. The interesting thing is this. Patrick Liney has made some interesting comments of late. So he went back to play for SC Burn, or, or train with them at least. He came out and said that if he played on most other NHL teams, he would be on the first line but instead is forced to play down in the lineup on Winnipeg. I think that's an argument that a lot of players can make in terms of where they fit on any given roster. It comes down to which roster you want to be a part of. I get it that it has an impact on your production as well, right? If you're playing top-line minutes, you're getting the opportunities. Patrick Linus is on the top power play unit for Winnipeg. Um, he is a, a, an elite level shooter and scorer. I just think that, and I've said this before, he does have other aspects of his game that he needs to clean up and bring up to the same standard as some of his teammates. I do firmly believe that. I think if you saw Patrick Laine work on his game, prove his skating drastically, um, again, those are the kind of things that will have a direct impact on his uh, game. And also, if he does take the bridge deal, that idea of what he could get down the road. I think the thing that's concerning him is that, wait a second, if I take a bridge deal and I'm still playing second and third line minutes, this might be the best deal I see. The other side of it is he plays with incredibly talented players. You can say I could be top line on a, on a team that is in a rebuild or that is farther down the standings or not nearly as good as you, and yeah, might you have the same production? Sure, but there's two sides to it. Gretzky needed someone to pass the puck to, right? He also needed someone to pass the puck to him. 
Lion A needs people that are also on the ice with him that can help him shine and do what he does best. Does he get that necessarily elsewhere? I don't know. And those are the things that you have to consider. I don't envy Patrick Laine's situation in terms of that. I mean, that's got to be stressful itself. I, I do think he's going to be very well compensated, and, I am, and I'm mildly envious of that. I mean, I would love to make Patrick Laine money, uh, whatever that ends up being. But I can see where, yeah, it's a tough spot for him to be in. Kyle Connor's the one uh, that is going to be taken care of and is probably going to be seeing top-line minutes. That wheeler connor Shifley line could easily be um, and become one of the scariest lines in hockey, the most dominating line in hockey. I do see that. Line is not cracking that line. So at best, he's getting second-line minutes. It's what is what does second-line minutes look like? What do second-line minutes look like to Patrick Line? What can Patrick Line do with second-line minutes? And what work has Patrick Line done to make the most of those minutes? Again, it's putting yourself in positions to succeed and performing to succeed. Formula is very simple. That's where it's going to be interesting. As Blake Wheeler said today, look, Line is a tremendously, you know, I'm paraphrasing here, but he's tremendously talented, but he ain't doing it himself. I think that's a big, big thing to remember is that it takes, you know, it's not just you out there. This isn't an individual endeavor, right? This isn't tennis. This isn't heads up, no limit, hold them poker. This is hockey. It's a, there's five people on that ice with you, right? They're the ones making you look, you know, they're working just as hard as you are to look good and make you look good and have you make them look good. So, again, he does benefit. And then Winnipeg is not that far off. It's not like I'm saying, oh, my God, Winnipeg should be in the basement this season. No, I mean that the loss to Edmonton last night was a little concerning, but it's preseason. But, again, Winnipeg needs to get strong out of the edge because that central division is going to be tough. That Western Conference is tough. And they're not too far away from moving. If you get these guys right in the lineup right away and early on, then what you can do is immediately kind of see what pieces need to be added, what moves need to be added to put yourself right back in the top of the Western Conference again. If Winnipeg that feels that's where they're going to go. So having Line in the lineup is important. I think it's important for Patrick Line to decide where does he want to be? What does he want to be? What does he want his role to be? Does he want to be that best second liner? It was no different than Geno Malkin and Sidney Crosby. Was Malkin content playing second fiddle to Crosby? I mean, they've made it into a 1A, 1B situation. They've made it work. They've won three cups together. And, I mean, Malkin credits Crosby with a lot uh, over in Pittsburgh. Again, that's one of those things, right? You have to decide where you're going to be. It's no different than as an NHL goalie, right? Some of these guys, and you've seen this a lot in the last few years, you know, they've had some decent success as a backup, and they're like, oh, it's my time. You know, I'm tired of being on the bench. I'm just as good as them. I need to prove myself. I want to prove that they're making the mistake. They go out, they get the shot as the number one guy, and then what? Right? They're so eager to leave, or they're so eager to demand more, whatever it is. Now they're grabbing bench. Now they're down in the AHL, right? Uh, uh, you know, it's, and I mean, a couple of big examples of that, Jonathan Bernier, right? I believe he was actually drafted before or and or ahead of Jonathan Quick. And they just felt Quick was the guy. Jonathan Quick won them two Stanley Cups almost single-handedly. Uh, and Jonathan Quick is arguably one of the best playoff goalies of his generation, of his era. 
Jonathan Bernier felt, hey, I want my shot. So Toronto brought him in. They kind of said they were going to do a 1A, 1B thing with him and James Reimer. He ended up kind of getting the job. I think because he had signed the big deal, became the number one guy. And then what happened there, right? So it happens. You have to you have to make that decision. What do you want your role to be? Again, it's tough being a backup going in the NHL. Are you going to make starter money? No. You know, and if you are the best backup, there's only so much you can take before they're going to say, ah, we're going to bring up the next guy, right? It is a system. It is a merry-go-round, right? So, you know, otherwise this, the whole train kind of stagnates a little bit. Again, you don't want to have backlogs. Goaltending is one of those positions. It's tough to be a starting goalie in the NHL. Some would argue it might even be tougher to be a backup goalie in the NHL. And why I bring that up is in my kind of career when I was younger and, and going through the stages and working my way through the ranks trying to hopefully one day make it to the NHL, um, you kind of have to understand, A, what position you're going in for, B, you have to put in the work, and C, you kind of have to understand what you are going to be, what you are to that team, and how you're going to make the most of it. And I've gone from being the guy to being a disgruntled the, a disgruntled the guy on the bench uh, to being the guy to being all right. I think it's, you know, my head's not in it anymore. I'm, I'm going to be stuck on the bench. All right, let's pack it in, right? It is what you make of it. Hockey is, opportunity is, goaltending is. Uh, remember, there's only two goaltenders per team. And that's what makes it such a tough position. The competition is fucking fierce. A uh, great example is that the year on that Washington won the Stanley Cup a couple years ago. Braden Holpe went into the playoffs as the guy, but sitting on the fucking bench. And I forget who it was that was the uh, that had momentarily uh, taken over the net. He's now the goalie in Colorado. Um, but nonetheless, it was one of those situations. Now, of course, he wasn't ready. As I said before, I, th I felt that that was a situation where Braden Holby was still the guy. He proved it, went in. And, I mean, arguably, if it wasn't for trying to give Ovechkin a con Smythe, had you not let in like five goals in game one or seven goals, whatever it was, of the cup final, Holby pushed Ovechkin enough to make it a conversation between the two. Where I'm going to wrap all this up today in terms of this goaltending talk and everything is the situation in Toronto. Michael Neuverth has come in as the backup goalie and or as, as being the kind of leading contender to be the backup goalie. The problem I have with that is he's already kind of off to a bad start. The problem there is he um, was already... Ah, all right, I got the name of the goalie now. But anyway, uh, for Colorado. Nonetheless, looking at the Michael Neuver situation, he's coming into battle for a back goalie. Now, that's been a highly contested area of kind of disappointment uh, and stagnation for the Leafs. Last year, they let go of two very good um, goalies, Curtis McElhaney and um, Calvin Pickard, uh, to make room for Garrett Sparks. Garrett Sparks, in a sense, almost threw in the towel at the end of the season, saying, oh, I'm, you know what, I need to work on me, I'll be ready for next season, when there was still games to be played and a playoff run to be fucking had. 
he was out there saying this, and I'd said that, and I'd said this on the podcast. I said, "That's a big. Those are big statements to make. Holy shit, are those big statements to make?" Um, when you look at it from that standpoint, I mean, again, you have a situation where that was a guy who was throwing in the towel. So now Garrett Sparks, I, I don't know if he's still with the Leafs. I think he is. But they brought in Michael Neuberth as the insurance policy. Neuberth has taken days off now in camp and not performing in camp because his body isn't feeling well. I get it. I've been there even now. There are days when I don't want to be working out or going out and, and doing the renovations I need to do. I, you still kind of have to get them done. Granted, that's not what I do for a living, and then that's not you know my job, but... Still, you make a commitment to do something, you get it done, and sometimes, yeah, it sucks more uh, days than it doesn't. But you still got to fucking go out there and get the job done. Hearing I'm throwing in the towel, I'll be ready for next season. When it's not a matter of injury, fuck did Garrett Sparks put them in a bad spot. Like, I felt like that's a tough thing. And I and I and don't get me wrong, I'm not sitting here picking on Garrett Sparks. Um, or maybe it sounds like I am. But... Um, I can relate. I get it. I don't envy that decision that he made. I don't envy the position he was in that ha that he felt that he had to make those uh, that he that he was kind of there mentally and physically. Right? It's tough being an NHL player. I don't envy that at all. But it is the job he signed up for, and he backed up. So Michael Neuverth has had an interesting bounce around. He kind of had, he had a, a bit of an injury kind of thing going on in uh, Philadelphia. That's been a bit of a story for the last few years. He was, at one point, it was his net to lose in Washington uh, before Braden Holby. Braden Holby was buried behind Michael Neuverth at one point. And uh, he managed to hand over the net. Now, I mean, I, I had said even back then when Braden Holby was, I think, he would have been third on the depth chart. For Washington, I'd said he was the future of Washington's goal um, net. Uh, I had even thought back in 2014, uh, coming into that season after 2013, I had felt Braden Holpe might actually be the guy to be the number one for Canada. And I had felt that going into that season, it, whether they wanted to admit it or not, I mean, Carey Price, I think, was injured the season before. Um, Braden Holpe was the best goalie in the league that year. And kind of fell back drastically to begin that year in 2014. Thus, uh, Carey Price uh, was in the starter. And I think, I don't even, I can't remember if Holpe made the team or not. But it was one of those things I was very sad and disappointed to see. Uh, just because I was a big fan of Braden Holpe's. I'd felt um, in my heart of hearts that he should have, that he could have been the guy. Uh, and had he played the same way the next season, I felt like it was his that he should have gotten the first crack. Even though Carey Price is Carey Price, I felt that Holby's work could have been enough. He dropped the opportunity. Holby's come back since and arguably been one of the most consistent goalies in the league, in my opinion. That's just a great, and that's what I mean about having to put in the work, having to understand, and and just owning it, getting yourself in a position to see it and performing to succeed. Michael Norrie's birth here is being given one of the best chances next to when he was the starter in Washington. Uh, to be on a good team, be in a good position to succeed. And it's said, now, I don't know what his injuries are. And um, Jamie McLennan was saying this on Overdrive as well on TSN, was that, look, if it's a groin or a hip flexor thing, yeah, I can understand how it's tight. You know, maybe the trainers, maybe his doctor said, hey, you know what, it, 
you're early in camp here. Don't push it and get injured and start the season on the IR. I get that. And that's tough, especially in those positions that are competitions, right? You're not guaranteed to be the number two yet. So get yourself to the number two. It's just not the start I would have wanted to see from Michael Neuverth. Um, and I get it. Maybe I'm kind of, my judgment on the whole thing is maybe slightly clouded in that I look back and I'm like, well, wait a second. I know what I would have done and to, to this day, what I would still do to get that crack to just make an NHL or even an AHL roster. And you have to take care of your body. That was one of the things, right, um, that I've talked about is, is putting is, is, is not just training harder, but training smarter, getting the most out of those training minutes. Uh, what I say by minutes is every one of those minutes you are training, getting the most out of those, right? So doing the exercise, doing the workouts, doing the type of training that's going to give your body the best results to put you and get you what doing what you need to do. And it sucks. I'm very um, – I am sad for Michael Neuverth. Uh, I'm going to see if there's any uh, write-ups here on what the situation is. But um, that's that's it, it's kind of become his thing here, where I would hate to imagine. And this is the craziest thing: Michael Neuverth is 31 years old, but still looks like he he could be 14. Um, and I mean, especially in Toronto, the interesting thing there is that uh, what's his name? Freddie Anderson has long struggled with injury. That's kind of been his thing, um, where he sometimes just gets a little overworked. So in the past, they've linked it to maybe his conditioning, you know, whatever it might be. He came in last year. I think he had lost like 15 pounds over the summer. Um, you know, I wish I could a lot. Maybe I did lose 15 pounds over the summer. I don't know. I don't think I did. Um, but I've gotten into much better shape over the summer. And I'm trying to accomplish different things, right? Um, but nonetheless, when you look at Michael Neuverth, it is tough because he is being given a, an opportunity there where you're going to have a guy in um, Freddie Anderson who made 60 starts last year and the year before might try to take down his starts to 50 starts. Meaning you might have the opportunity to be playing upwards of 32 games as a backup. This could be a tremendous – at 31, I mean fucking Tim Thomas wasn't even starting – wasn't even getting a starting job in the NHL until he was like 32 years old anyway. Um, when you look at the opportunity being presented here for, um, young Mr. Neuverth, it's a tremendous opportunity here to kind of have that bounce back, right? And it's just, it's a shame and it's, it's, it's sad that he's not going to get it, but, or that he might not get it, I shouldn't say he's not going to get it, but that there's been a delay to that for him. Uh, but again, got to take care of yourself. And this is, a great kind of example of that, right? Especially in a situation you're given a great opportunity here. I would love to know more of the details. And that's why a lot of this is hypothetical, right? I don't know what's keeping him off. I don't know what injury he's come into camp with. I just know, and I know back in my days going to camp, going to tryouts, you don't want to be putting yourself in position to be getting injured um, or to be showing up injured in training camp. You need your body at peak ability to push into camp. And I had said that kind of going in to August. I had said I wanted to push myself in August to get into training camp season. I want to do that. Like that's kind of when I look at my own personal fitness, those are my goals, right? 
was to be able to go and say, all right, let's go, let's have a very, let's um, push hard so that we can get to September and October and really fucking take the physical shape and conditioning to that next level. Uh, and that's kind of what you want to do as an athlete, where you want to show up, especially in hockey, where you have that long season. It's winter, so it's cold. You want to make sure you're taking care of your body and doing the most of your body, um, especially last season where I don't, where he wouldn't have played in the playoffs. It, it was disappointing. Last year he played seven games, uh, had a sub 900 uh, save percentage uh, in 2016, 2017, an 891 save percentage. His numbers have kind of been all over the place here a little bit, uh, but. Again, if he had gotten that number two job, he's seeing an opportunity to get 30, you know, between 25 to 32 um, quality starts. I mean, this is a guy that does hold the Calder Cup records of the AHL for single playoffs goals against average at 1.92. Um, you know, this is, you know, he, he can play. It's just he's got to, um, you know, he's got he's got to show up in shape here. And I don't know if it's something mental going on. I don't know if it is physical. I don't know if it's, you know, some players end up being mildly injury prone in, in certain parts of the career, right? Uh, and we all know that in our own personal, personal lives, right? You see that per, that person you know at work that has the bad back or the bad knees, right? Eventually something happens and we become, you know, almost a little more sensitive in certain areas. And then you got to kind of compensate for that, but you got to get that part back in shape. It's just it's it's a little unfortunate uh, to see that with Michael Neuvirth, as again this was an opportunity. This was one of those situations where a great where a top team was giving a guy an opportunity to compete for a good job. Edmonton's a little different because you have the two goalies; they're competing for one and two. Uh, but again. That's just that. But I think I can leave it there now for today. Uh, nonetheless, I do thank you all so much for tuning in and the continued and growing support here on the Seems Legit podcast. Um, really, it means the world to me. So thank you so much. If you aren't already doing so, please follow me on both Twitter and Instagram at the dude Sunny D. Um, yes, Twitter and Instagram at the dude Sunny D. Thank you so much for tuning in into this episode of the Seems Legit podcast. Take care and bye bye for now.